Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM. It is great to be with you another evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We have been at this now for a couple of months, and hopefully at this point we have not only come to appreciate its theological depth, but at the same time its very practical application to our everyday life. Yes, it addresses questions that were going on, oh, a good 2,000 years ago, but it is an inspired text, right? So it transcends time. So every single verse, as it is inspired by God, certainly can be applicable to today. Uh, chapter 7, this chapter that we have been in, has this redundancy, that phrase, now concerning this matter, now concerning that matter. Paul is addressing many questions in chapter 7, specifically questions regarding marriage. And so what I wanted to do uh, this evening is wrap up our reflections with chapter 7 by continuing to explore uh, Paul's verses. And I thought what we could do is get into verses 29 to 31. We have more or less expounded upon all the other verses, but I want to hone in this evening on verses 29 uh, to 31, which will allow us one last reflection into marriage before we get into chapter 8. So with that, if you have your Bibles, if you can go to chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and turn your attention to verses 29 to 31. I mean, brethren, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing with it. For the form of this world is passing away. The form of this world is passing away. All right. So what is going on there? Well, as we've already discussed, marriage is a charism, right? And certainly Paul expounds on this in great detail in Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. We have already talked about that. But we are also made to see, Paul does say here, <laughs> those who marry will experience affliction in their earthly life. And that can be best translated as those who marry will have tribulation of the flesh. Now, these are not to be mistaken for tribulations of the final times, but the anxieties, the cares, the difficulties and sufferings that essentially are inseparable from the married state. Anyone who's married out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. What Paul wants to do is raise all married couples' thoughts beyond daily trials to a much broader horizon, essentially. The time is running out. Literally, the time has been shortened because we see both ends of time at once and thus its ultimate meaning, right? In a way that the non-believing world does not. 
This means that the Christian enjoys a unique freedom in relation to things of this world, or at least we uh, could say the Christian should (laughs) enjoy unique freedom, right? Now, when Paul says, let those having wives act as not having them, he certainly does not mean they should live celibately. We've already talked about that nor that those weeping should not weep, nor those rejoicing should not rejoice, nor those buying should not possess. What is Paul's point here? None of these things have lasting value. The danger here, my friends, is that one might become too absorbed or or too engrossed in these things, so engrossed in them at the expense of what is meant to last, right? And what is meant to last but one's permanent state as a Christian, one's permanent state as a Catholic? This principle of interior liberty, of interior freedom, applies to each and every one of us. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is, hold everything that you possess, everything that you have, with a relaxed grasp, we could say. In verse 31, we have this succession of paradoxes. Now, now I read for you the RSV. We can also translate verse 31 as those using the world as not using it fully. So we have, again, these succession of paradoxes, which climaxes with the play on words between using chromonoi in the Greek and using up, katachromonoi or using it fully. That is, making use of the things of the world, but not pouncing upon them like a greedy child devouring preferred sweets and ultimately grasping for more. Paul is coaching us up here, is he not? To hold on to things, even good things, with a light grasp. With a light grasp. What is it that you are holding on to right now? You have probably been thinking about this a a lot recently because it is Lent, and certainly one of the things that Lent encourages is to let go, a theme we have talked about a great deal here on Seeds of Truth, and certainly one that Paul wants us to be thinking about, just not during Lent, but all the time. Why? Because he doesn't want us to lose that permanent state of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to surrender to God. So here, Paul is challenging each and every one of us, and I don't care who you are or or what your vocation is or what your walk in life is, he's challenging us. Is there something that we are holding on to tightly? What do we give our full attention to? You know, we are in the month of March, And if you live in the United States of America, you know that the month of March, at least in the sporting world, is tied to what? March Madness. I was thinking about that phrase, March Madness, (laughs) a phrase that is coined because of this huge college tournament that people gamble millions and millions of dollars upon, part of which is why we have this phrase, March Madness. But it's really interesting to watch a game here or there, and to watch a fan root on his or her team. You see the craziness of it all, and I am not separate from this. I am not detached from this. 
I have my teams I root for. So I'm, I'm telling you this because it's a weakness of my own. I can tend to uh, root for my team with a great fanaticism. Remember the word fan is just short for fanatic, right? The other day I was watching the end of a ball game with my son. And it was a close game. And the camera would span the crowd, and the crowd was just enraptured in this game. And it really struck me because I thought to myself, boy, you'd think that salvation <laughs> depends on whether or not their team wins this game. Are they holding on to their team too tightly? Do they treat their fanaticism with a firm grasp? I would say yes. I know at times I do. And it's interesting. It's been a real point of self-reflection for me to be able to detach myself from the teams that I root for. That in the end, if my team loses, is it that big of a deal? Well, no, it's not. It really isn't. I think this is, culturally speaking, something we all need to consider. So if you don't struggle with rooting for a team too much, what are you uh, clutching at, grasping at? Like your salvation depends upon it, but it really doesn't, okay? Now, in saying that, certainly Paul is talking about things that do matter, does he not? I mean, he's talking about marriage, he's talking about joy, he's talking about things that do matter and are necessary. Certainly, the married state matters very much, but even then, he wants us to look at what is the object of our total commitment. Okay, what is the object of our total commitment? Is our spouse the object of our total commitment? Now, someone out there might be saying, yeah, and that's not a bad thing, right, Joe? Well, yes and no. If we are loving our spouses as a reflection of our own love for God, then yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul wants us to see again is if loving our spouses is the end, like the sole end, well, you've got a problem. If you've removed God out from your love for your spouse, you've got a problem. Who is the object of your total commitment? Who is the person of your total commitment? I mean, how many times have I said it here on Seeds of Truth? If we are going to love neighbor properly, we can only do so out first from our love from God. And even more specifically as it relates to marriage, if we are going to love our spouses and our children properly, we can only do that well if we first love God well with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that we have. Everything that we have. So on a reflection this evening, yes, we kind of downgraded it to the things that we are attached to, even if on a most basic level, something like the team we root for. And I'm intentional with that because I do think we need to consider that. But beyond that most basic level to what Paul is talking about here, the married state specifically, that even that can become something it shouldn't. That if we are actually idolizing our spouses, that if we are putting our spouses before Jesus Christ, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's what Paul wants us to see. And what he wants us to see is that everything, quite simply, is passing. Everything is temporary. 
What does Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 say? Teach us to count our days aright that we may gain wisdom of heart. Brothers and sisters, if we are living with the end in mind, if we are living with this deeper purpose in life, if we are intentional disciples, if we are intentional evangelists for the kingdom of God, do you think we would be worried about some of the things we worry about? I don't think so. Why? Because we learn the language of trust. We learn the language of trust. So in the end, my friends, Paul wants us to see that both marriage and its daily concerns will expire when the age we live in comes to an end, huh? And he wants us to put our marital struggles and worldly affairs, if you will, in perspective, since only one's relationship with the Lord endures forever. That's what endures forever, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we are grasping and clutching and holding on to the person of Jesus Christ, then yeah, we'll be okay. But if we are clutching, grasping at anything other than Jesus Christ, then that's when we will begin to have problems. Now, as I said earlier, <laughs> Paul has expounded upon the significance of marriage. And so I want to do that within the context of Jesus Christ once more. But this time, do it with the catechism. We really didn't get into the catechism when we explored Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. And I want to do that now. And if you have your catechism out by chance, I want you to turn to paragraphs 1641 and 1642. Now listen closely to what the catechism has to say here. And again, the catechism is made up of the wisdom of the church fathers, the saints, and certainly the insights gained from many beautiful church documents. So 1641 reads, By reason of their state in life and of their order, Christian spouses have their own special gifts in the people of God. This grace proper to the sacrament of matrimony is intended to perfect the couple's love and to strengthen their indissoluble unity. By this grace, they help one another to attain holiness in their married life and in welcoming and educating their children. 1642 leads with this sentence, Christ is the source of this grace right? Christ is the source of this grace. So Christ is the source of anything that is good in your marriage. The triune God is the source of anything that is good in your marriage. So I think this should really help us and encourage us for those who are married as we reflect deeper into Paul's verses, verses 29 to 31, huh? The catechism continues, just as of old God encountered his people with a covenant of love and fidelity, so our Savior, the spouse of the church, now encounters Christian spouses through the sacrament of matrimony. Okay, so Jesus Christ gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He graces the sacrament of marriage, and in doing so, he gives us what is necessary to build up our marriages. Remember what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. This is the gift necessary because, well, what did Jesus reveal about the love shared between the Father and the Son? 
that it has a sacrificial dimension. The cross, my friends, is a profound insight into the love that is shared between the Father and the Son. And so this love is what is given to us. Yes, in baptism and confirmation and elsewhere in the sacramental life, but particular to our reflection this evening, most especially marriage, that love itself is redemptive. And when we donate our flesh to our spouses, both literally and figuratively, that marriage is going to be built up in Christ because it is then that it reflects Christ most perfectly. I know this can get pretty heady and pretty theological, but let's just simplify this, my friends. Every act of love, mindful that love simply means to will the good of the other for the sake of other, is going to build up. Don't you want to do something for your spouse when your spouse does something for you? What is that? That's love building itself up. What you feed grows, right? Love begets more love. That is the nature of God. And aware that God's love is inexhaustible because he is infinite, we can never love enough, right? You never possess love per se. At best, love possesses us. The more you give love away, the more you are able to receive because you are constantly emptying yourself out, making room for more. This is why Paul says what he says. And it really, too, I think, puts into light what we were talking about earlier as it relates to the anxieties, the struggles, all of that. He's challenging us indirectly to say, hey, you will always have to deal with this, but there is a grace that is sufficient, that Jesus Christ says to us, my grace is sufficient for you to just not endure the trial, endure the anxiety, endure the suffering, but to actually give it redemptive power. My grace is so great that it can take all of those trials and sufferings and make something good out of it. This is what the cross does. This is what the cross does. All right, wrapping up this paragraph 1642, Christ dwells with them, giving them the strength to take up their crosses and so follow him, to rise again after they have fallen, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be. And here the catechism quotes Ephesians 5, verse 21, to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love that phrase, to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be present to one another. Be present to your spouse's needs and your children's needs. Out of what did Paul say that the catechism highlighted here? Reverence for Christ. You love your spouse. You love your children. Not as an end, as we already talked about, but because those are the gifts that God has given to you to love. And we love out of reverence for Christ. We see all as a gift. Even the most dire circumstances, God wants us to see that even that can be a gift of mercy, a gift of mercy to the extent that it has us returning to him in his cross. Paragraph number 1642 closes with this quote from Tertullian, and I love this. 
Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, how can I ever express the happiness of a marriage joined by the church, strengthened by an offering, sealed by a blessing, announced by angels, and ratified by the Father? How about that? Tertullian says, announced by the angels. Have you ever thought about that before? (laughs) That when you married your spouse, there was a great rejoicing, a rejoicing that all of heaven shared in. Why? Why would Tertullian say that? Well, he says because it was ratified by the Father, by virtue of the grace of the sacrament, but also that one has entrusted themselves to another, that one now sees the I, okay, less than the thou, the thou, of course, being the spouse and subsequent children. This is worth rejoicing over. Every time there is a gift of self, every time there is an act of love, there is great rejoicing in heaven. Why? Because love constitutes the very life of heaven. So anything that is going to reflect heaven itself, God himself, there's going to be great rejoicing, great rejoicing. Tertullian continues, how wonderful the bond between two believers, now one in hope, one in desire, one in discipline, one in the same service. They are both children of one father and servants of the same master, undivided in spirit and flesh, truly two in one flesh. Where the flesh is one, one also is the spirit. So Tertullian also reminds us there that the rejoicing comes on the heels of this indissoluble unity. Is not the oneness of the Trinitarian life of God one of the great marks of the church? And how we, for those of us who are married, as married couples, are called to bear witness to this oneness, this great mark of the church. We are one. This is why being on the same page in our marriages is so, so important. It bears a profound witness to not only God himself, right, but also those around us. I think today, marriages have a unique gift to pronounce to the world in their oneness. When married couples come together and are on the same page and they witness to this each and every day, all the days of their life, they offer a profound witness to the world that is constantly picking away at that oneness, trying to pull it apart. We don't need to get into all the statistics about divorce. We know it is rampant. But I will say this, when it comes to adultery, when it comes to divorce, we are talking about human beings and human beings that are suffering because of it on both sides. And so instead of just talking about adultery, divorce, as a matter of statistic to make a point, we should do less of that and more of praying for those who are involved in these statistics, aware that oneness is a great mark of the church, and something we should, what? Reverence for Christ. So for those who might be in a separation, a divorce, because of adultery or any other reason, really, let us pray for those souls involved and see the persons within those statistics 
that essentially there's brokenness, there's woundedness, there's bitterness, uh, there's an absence of forgiveness. And our prayer, our fasting, our sacrificing can uh, make up for what does Paul say? What is lacking in the body of Christ? So let us do this. Let us do this for the sake of everything that we are talking about now, especially as it relates to the sacrament of marriage, okay? Because what we experience here on earth, it is passing. You blink and it will be gone. How many times have you been in a conversation and someone says to you, man, I can't believe that it was just four years ago that we met, or maybe 10 years ago that we were married, or maybe 15 years ago that I was involved in this committee or that group. Point being, how often do we say (laughs) time passes by so quickly? We say it all the time, and yet we just let it go at that. But Paul wants us to see, again, something deeper here. Yeah, you're right. Time does pass by quickly. And so what are you doing about it? How are you living your life? How are you seizing the moment? How are you living with the end in mind? What have I said about time before as it relates to minutes? Uh, There are 1,440 minutes in every day. Think about that. 1,440 minutes in every day. We roughly sleep away 440 minutes of every day, which leaves us with approximately a thousand minutes every day. A thousand minutes every day. Are we filling up those minutes with anxiety? Are we filling up those minutes with uh, grasping at things that we cannot control? Embracing things that we are attached to that in the end don't matter? Are we filling up those minutes with uh, frustration, anger, hate, spite towards our spouse, we need to be filling up those minutes, my dear friends, with prayer, with fasting, with almsgiving. And in saying those words, I challenge myself. There's always more I can do, I know. And so I want to encourage you to look at ways in which you can be more faithful in the realm of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and how we, and how we are called to give our minutes to God. Imagine if you gave the same amount of minutes to God that you give to that one thing that you are too attached to. Imagine what God would do. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening. Indeed, it is a gift because it is something given to us, right? Something given to us that we might share deeper in your love, that we might come to a deeper understanding of how you desire us to give you glory in what we do. And so it is not enough that we just talk about these things, Lord, but that we integrate them into our everyday life. And so this is what we pray for, the grace to integrate so as to glorify you. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.